Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Hey there. I am uh, speaking to you from... A little part of London, on the outskirts of London, really, called St. Margaret's. I've brought one of my kids here for a medical thing. And it's funny for me because I grew up around here. So the first, I think we moved here when my mum and dad were still together. So I must have been about three. And then my dad didn't leave the area till I was in my 20s, but my mum moved when I was 11 to the house she's in now. So I'm doing a bit of a memory lane thing. I don't think I've been around here for about 20 years, basically. And um, so I've been walking around and she went past the front door of the house that my mum and dad used to live in and then my dad and my stepmom. And it's just really weird, isn't it, when you go past the front door that used to mean so much and now it just looks like quite a normal, very sweet, but everything obviously looks a little bit smaller than I remember it, probably because... You know, when I was four, I was quite a bit shorter than I am now. And I'm now walking down a side road. Oh, I've just come to the road where my grandparents used to live. My grandma and grandpa. Oh, that's so sweet. Neither of them are alive now, but um, I remember very well. I might actually have to walk past their front door. Oh, sorry. Noisy van. Um, Yeah, it's just really funny. It's like my feet are guiding me places. This should be a really quiet road. I don't think anybody comes up and down this road very often. Oh, it's really cute. The little houses are really cute. Anyway, that's me. How are you? Where I am, it's all damp. Just had a little bit of rain. It's Friday morning. And 
This week's been quite nice, actually. Last week was a little bit hectic. I didn't really have much time to breathe. So it's been really nice this week having a little bit more quiet time. I've managed to do some really important stuff, like starting watching the new series of Married at First Sight UK, as well as doing actual work. Don't worry. I have got some really cool podcast guests coming up for you. Very exciting stuff. Some people I've wanted to speak to for blimmin' ages. So that's good, isn't it? And um, today I'm about to fly to Jersey for our official last festival of the season. I forgot we're on a flight path here. Sorry, Richard, editing. He'll be like, why have you gone for such a noisy place? Um, yeah, so I'm off to Jersey today, home tomorrow. That's the last festival of the year, actually. And then we're into the kind of autumnal stuff. Uh, what else is going on? Kids all back at school. Been mixing my album, the one I've done with Ed. Ed Harcourt, it's sounding really fab. I'm really happy with it. We were mixing a track yesterday. To me, it was sounding a little bit like the Knowing Me, Knowing You era of ABBA. I'm not comparing myself to ABBA, don't worry. But it just was reminiscent of a feel. <laughs> it's exciting. And, oh, just where my grandparents' house was now. Super cute. And, yes, so, anyway, get on to the main thing we need to talk about. This week's guest. So, this week's guest actually does tie in what I was just talking about, my albums with Ed Harcourt, because the first album I did with Ed was an album called Wonderlust. We did way back in, oh, golly, it must have been 2013, I think, but came out 2014. And we had a brilliant engineer in the studio called Olga Fitzroy. And Olga has gone from strength to strength with her engineering. And so what she does effectively is set up everything in the studio so that we can... Oh, this is going to be so blimmin' noisy. Rich is going to kill me. I forgot about the flight path in sunny St. Margaret's. Sorry, darling. Ah! Actually, oh, funnily enough, we recorded Wonderlust not far from here, just in, in Richmond, just down the road. Oh, now there's drilling... Fates are against me. Excuse me, stop drilling. I'm doing a podcast intro. Very important stuff. <laughs> um, I'm going to run past that house. They're having some work done. Probably an extension. Everybody extends things around here. Um, and then all the houses look the same again, don't they? Ooh, sorry, that is a horrible noise. If you've got headphones on, I do apologise. That is nasty. It's nasty in real life too. Look at this. We're walking around St Margaret's together, you and I. Enjoying the sights and the sounds. Uh, yes, so what Olga was doing for me in the studio for Wonderlust is setting everything up. So if you're recording drums, if you're recording strings, if you're recording vocals, she makes sure that everything was plugged in and proper so we had the right mics, the right everything was doing what it should do to get the right sound. So it's a really crucial job in the studio when you're making an album and you kind of become like the producer's right-hand person. And Olga was absolutely brilliant and went on to win awards for her brilliance. But she also ended up becoming counsellor in Lambeth. So she's been brilliant because basically she saw things that she thought were unjust, particularly when it comes to being a working mother. Blimey, can they just stop flying planes for a minute, please? And experienced these things personally and thought, right, I'm going to do something about it and followed her political instincts. And actually, 
really think about it. Not all of us do that, do we? When we see something that's not right, it's actually <laughs> literally walking past cars that are starting. It's, you know what this is reminding me of a little bit? You know that book, um, Five Minutes, was it called Five Minutes Peace? With the bear that's trying to go to sleep and everywhere he moves to, something new starts to make a noise. That is basically my experience with St. Margaret's. Good job I don't live here anymore. It'd be a nightmare for my podcasting. <laughs> anyway, I actually recorded this conversation with Olga quite a while back, back in, I think it must have been the spring. I went with one thing and another and summer holidays and all that. It's just coming to light now. So we do talk about her uh, standing to be councillor in Lambeth, which she did in May and she was successful. So it's brilliant. She's very hardworking. She's a very fair person. Someone, yes, saw an injustice, experienced it herself and went to go and try and put it right, which is something I think we can all take note from, really. And so I'm very chuffed for her with her success in her councillor um, Lambeth uh, application. That's brilliant. And I will leave you in her capable hands because you're probably a bit sick of hearing so many noises from St Margaret's. Look, more noise coming our way now. Anyway, apart from that, see you in a minute. Bye. It's really nice to see you. I can't remember how long have we not seen each other. It's, it's years, I know that much. Yeah, five years maybe, something like that. Yeah, maybe. So we did Wonderlust together, which was a really happy album to make. Um, I loved that. So that was a lovely studio called State of the Ark. And yeah, I love that studio. Love that studio and it was just a really happy experience as well. It's probably like my sort of most happy version of making an album, I think. I just I felt very peaceful when I was doing that for yeah. a couple of weeks. And... For folk listening, how do you describe what you do? I'm a recording engineer and mixer, so I I guess I work in studios, I put up the microphones, I kind of have an input on how records sound along with artists and the producers. Yeah, so you're sort of, they're covering all bases really, aren't you? You're sort of the thing, as you say, like the sort of third bit of the wheels. You've got the musicians, the producer and then the engineer and actually it's a really... It's a really sort of important alchemy that forms from that relationship. I think, you know, when you're in a recording studio, you want to feel really good about the team around you. So you're like a really integral part of the recording process. Um, and actually, often as well, someone that maybe like is sort of getting on with things quite quietly and not necessarily, um, you know, the producer and the artist are often having big chats and, you know, you're sometimes just sort of getting on with just facilitating and trying yeah. to preempt what they might need next. Yeah, that's supporting them and I guess interpreting their creative choices into what we might do technically in the studio to make that happen. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And so what are you up to at the moment, Olga? What's happening in your world? Um, doing a lot of film and TV music. So I've just finished recording and mixing the score for a film called Mr Malcolm's List with Amelia Warner as the composer. So that was really fun to work on. Did about um, three or four days of recording at Rack Studios. Oh, lovely. So was that um, quite orchestral or is it? Yeah, so we had like a small wind ensemble and we had a string quartet and then they went over to Europe to do a bigger orchestra um, and then I went and mixed it at my home studio, so that was really fun. Oh, wow. And so have you been working quite nicely for the last couple of years or has it been quite tricky? Or When lockdown happened and everywhere shut down, there's three months where I had absolutely no work at all and all the studios closed down because just nobody know, knew what to do and what was going to happen. Um, and in that, that time, I was doing a lot of work uh, for the Music Producers Guild. I sit on their board, so I was trying to be on calls with the gov 
government trying to get them to allow studios to open or to give us gui guidance on how to work safely. So I had some really quite bizarre Zoom calls in that time. Yeah, because I imagine as well you were having a lot of people turning to you and being quite scared because actually a lot of people that I knew that worked in music were just quite frightened actually. Yeah, absolutely. And nobody knew what to do. There wasn't any guidance from the government. So in the end, a bunch of music organisations, including Music Producers Guild and the Musicians Union, we actually ended up writing our own guidance based on what the government was kind of doing generically, but making it really specific for studios oh, and then on. getting it signed off by the government. Oh, wow, was, so you were actually really kind of at the epicentre of how it was all going to be for a little while. Yeah, and I think one of the sort of most important things we managed to do was get them to allow singers and brass and wind instruments to continue working in studios because there's a point where, you know, communal singing was banned and everything was banned. Yeah. And we had to sort of make the case for professional singing in a professional environment that as long as you had a bunch of precautions, you could still do it. Because again, I think a lot of people don't realise how many people depend on making music for a living, that it is a job for a lot of people, not just a hobby. Yeah, oh God, yeah. And I think, um, you know, it was a strange time because I felt like in the government they were sort of talking to musicians as if we were doing things that's a bit of fun and you've had a nice time doing that, haven't you? But maybe now that things are a bit serious, you've got to go and find something else you can do. Yeah. Which is actually nonsensical because not only is it something that people... Um, there's a huge place for it, but also it's actually a pretty big part of the economy as well, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, in normal times, I think it's about five billion. There you go. That's huge amount of money. And then also, when we were all in lockdown, everybody was still enjoying everything that all the creatives made. I mean, you obviously did your bit with your kitchen discos. Like, all the mu musicians' work was being enjoyed by everybody when they are in lockdown. Yeah. It's really important for all of us, I think. It is really important, and... Um, and actually, so my experience of going to a recording studio as a singer, because obviously, as you say, like brass and wind, it's all the sort of breathing, yeah. <laughs> the breathing ones. Um, they sort of did things where you had to wait for the air to circulate a certain amount of time and you have to kind of leave gaps in between sessions for different musicians. So is that something you uh, had a part of organising? Yeah, so we were on those calls. The Musicians' Union, actually, again, they were super flexible. They said, oh, we can add an extra 15 minutes of extra time just to give people slightly longer breaks or if there's any remote tech that kind of needs a bit of setting up and takes a bit longer, you know, we'll give you 15 minutes, which is actually really good given that the Musicians' Union are normally really strict about their time. So yeah. they actually had a lot of flexibility just in order for sessions to be able to work. Ah, oh, that is good. That is good. Well, well done. You did a brilliant job making things, keeping those wheels in motion. And we can now enjoy the fruits of the labour, given that there's so much new music around now, which is wonderful. And, um, and music kept being made throughout lockdown, actually. Um, so if we sort of rewind a little bit, what was going on in your life when you had your first baby? So when I had my son, I took a bit of maternity leave. So this is Lucas and he's six Lucas, now. Yep. Sweet, I have one of those. It's a lovely age, really sweet. Yeah, they're good fun. Um, at that time, before I had him, I they just brought in shared parental leave and I was quite excited because I thought me and my husband could share that leave and sort of do a bit of time at work, a bit of time at home with the baby. Um, until I got to filling out the forms and applying for this and realising that because I was self-employed, I didn't qualify for this and the only option was for me to take a full-on career break. Um, my husband got his two weeks and that was it really. Wow. So what line of work is your husband in? So he's a technical director at a recording studio as well. So we're in the same industry, but he is employed. And so he works for the same place all the time and yeah. you're flexible and can go where you want and exactly. different projects. Yeah. 
So I didn't realise, so completely, I mean, I suppose I've always sort of assumed it with what I do, but um, mainly because when you're filling in boxes and stuff, I quite often don't find Singer as one of the little things that comes down in the drop-down box. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but for sort of any self-employed person then, so basically when you have a baby, it's completely up to you, but it is completely on you. Yeah, you, it's you completely on You stop earning because you're having a baby and that's that, and then you go back because you need to earn money or because you want to, but there's nothing that's going to be there in that gap. You get maternity allowance, you get a whole £150 a week, so that'll buy you a few nappies. But basically, there's no option. Self-employed dads get zero paternity leave. So then in most families, if they're artists or sound engineers or any, anything creative, there's so many self-employed people. And then because of how the rules are, it's generally the woman that takes a massive career hit. Even if she would like to work in that first year, it's kind of impossible financially because the dads don't get any support to stay at home. Yeah, so it means... You know, because it's always a big deal when you have a baby anyway, but this means you're really taking into account lots and lots of things that are very pressing and serious about about how to keep roof over your head and keep things moving. So it's not it's not as simple as just, you know, a personal thing. You've got all these bigger issues to think of. So when did that sort of translate from just something where you thought that doesn't sound right to something you're actually feeling a bit more active in? So it was probably about 2017. I was just doing a little bit of research on it because I was just going, this must be some mistake. Yeah. I'll just email someone and they'll go, we're really sorry, we'll change it. Um, so I was on holiday actually and I just emailed a few people, I did a bit of Googling, did a bit of research and I found the woman who was the minister responsible for that policy when they brought it in. It's a lady called Jo Swinson who you might remember was the leader of the Liberal Dem- Democrats for a while. Um, so I found her email address, emailed her, she got back to me, we had a phone call um, and she just basically said, yeah, we wanted to bring it in for everybody, but we just didn't have the time to do it at the time. So you should absolutely campaign on this. OK, so she was supportive. So I'm trying to think, so 2017, so your little boy would have been two, is that right? Yeah. Um, so at that point you were back at work and yeah. doing your own thing. So why was it still something that was sort of in your mind if you were doing it for things were kind of chugging along well I just realized how hard it had been and how lucky I was to be able to get back to work so I spent 10 years as an assistant engineer in a studio um, so you're working really long hours you're making a lot of tea and you're learning a lot and then after that I got to being an engineer I went freelance and did the kind of part of the job that really interests me that I'm passionate about so it's a really long journey and I worked really hard to get where I was and I had to work really hard after maternity leave to get back to that point so it was probably that's about, interesting. So you didn't feel like you couldn't just sort of go back to where you were? No, I think it took about 18 months to two years oh, to long. get back to earning the same amount of money as I was before I went on mat leave. So how long did you take off your maternity leave? Not I probably that took about, relevant, about, about nine months. Oh, it's not very, so why was it something, how did, why did it work like that? I think there's a number of things there. I think one thing is that clients make assumptions about your priorities if you're a woman and you've had a baby. Oh, wow. So I definitely found myself, I would be going into the studio and I only did this once or twice and brought my son in to hand over to his dad while I did a session or maybe to meet someone for lunch. And the amount of people that would say to me, oh, how's maternity leave? Given I had a kind of three-year-old child with me, um, they were still assuming that because I'd had a child, I had now chosen to step back from work and spend all my time at home. Yeah, I know. I I remember finding that made me feel really... um felt like I'd lost a bit of me actually because um, I when I had my baby I, I had quite a long time where I didn't work insofar as I wasn't doing the, the glam sides of my job but I was writing and trying to make a new album 
And I'd go along to things and people would just assume that I just sort of stopped really and that um, I was just going to spend all my time with my son. And obviously I, I loved being a mum, but I really love the bit of me that's my work too. It's, 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 it's a passion. So when you say you worked a really long time to get to the point you were, how, how long, when did you start engineering or the process towards engineering? Um, so it was 10 years of being an assistant before I went on to then engineering. Okay. Um, so I started... 10 at, years? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when you say you're assistant, do you actually have to, do you sort of uh, follow um, an, an engineer that you work with or is it much more So because I, I was that? based at a big studio, so I would do, initially I was just a runner and literally just made tea and then I was an assistant engineer where it's more technical, you're plugging things in, you're running Pro Tools um, and you work with a number of engineers, you're just based at that facility so Got you'll it. get the in-house guys and is guys from outside. It's in London, yeah. Um, and it was always guys. I don't think I ever worked for a woman engineer when, while I was an assistant. You see, I was going to ask you about that as well. I mean, I think from my experience, it is very unusual to see women on that side of things. Very un- I mean, it's quite unusual for me to see women when I'm, I'm in the studio. Full stop, actually. Yeah. And it's not something I think about hugely now because I'm used to it. And a lot of people I work with are people, I, people I'm married to. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, you've got relationship with people, so you're sort of working with friends. But I know when I was young, I was quite intimidated by it. And I remember, you know, when I was first in studios, I was like 17, 18, 19. And just that weird feeling of finding where the girls lose are and thinking, I think I'm the only person that's using this. Yeah. It's just a weird feeling, isn't it? Definitely. And then some studios where you go to, it's a mixed toilet, it's fine, it's a little studio, but there's no tampon bin. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All of that stuff. And... um. It's funny, it's just one of those things where you're like, this is, that's the bit where I would always be like, eh, just think, this is sort of, you know. I didn't grow up a lot around boys as well, so for me, working in a male environment was something I always found, I had to get used to it, I think. Yeah. What about you? Is that something that you found came naturally to you? I think so. I mean, as a child, I was a bit of a tomboy, and then I guess I started working in studios when I was 21, something like that. Um, and again, I didn't know any different, so I just got used to it. And I worked with some brilliant men and boys um, mm. in the studio. So again, I didn't really question it. I was kind of aware of it, but I didn't think it was really terrible for me personally. I got on with everyone. I mm. still enjoyed the company of most of my colleagues. And I had really supportive female managers as well. I think that probably helped. That definitely helps. And I think they've, all those people around you that are supportive, it's great. But I wonder as well if sometimes it almost puts a bit of a fire in you. You're like, well, you might underestimate me, but actually I really I really know what I'm doing here. Or I really, I'm actually going to pull my weight as well. Yeah, definitely there's a bit of that. Um, and I think I've also found certain clients have actually wanted to have a woman in the control room just to add a different dynamic. Yeah, I can imagine that. But how did you even know about it as a job? What made you head towards sound in the first place? Um, it was a bit bit of an accident, really. When I was 16, I did work experience in a theatre and sort of got to hang out with the sound and lighting technicians, and that's when I kind of learned that that was even a job that you could do. Mm. And what that is kind it? of sparked my interest. And what is it that you love? Like, what's your, where's your sort of real job satisfaction? I guess it's being creative, but without the responsibility of creating something from scratch, like what you do. I just get to sort of make good things better and polish them and, you know think of creative solutions to I guess technical problems um but I don't have the whole responsibility of creating a hit from nothing and just to ask a sort of slightly abstract question but how important is it that you like the actual tracks that you're recording um I think it helps (laughs) but I think probably 
with most things, you can find something that you love about it, even if it's maybe not a genre that you would normally listen to. You can like appreciate a brilliant performance or a great lyric or a really good beat or something. You can find something that you can get into. I wonder as well if sometimes you're sometimes witnessing things as well and people you're almost like a fly on the wall kind of thing of watching how people work and because people don't you know they you can't keep up an act when you're in the studio you can pretty much see what people are really like and how they deal with pressure yeah how they deal with stress how focused they are all these things these sort of all those personality traits come out yeah absolutely I think a massive part of my job and any producer's job as well is just kind of making people feel comfortable and making sure that you know trying to ease any tensions and pressures where you can mm. knowing when to say something knowing when to pipe down knowing when you might might suggest let's do something different let's have a little break you know yeah. I think a lot of it is people skills and naming no names have you ever seen any singers that have quite unusual techniques for how they do what they do um I mean, I remember, like, I, this was not a secret thing, yeah. but it was always talked about that Daniel Bedingfield used to sing in his underwear. Like, that was a true thing. He used to always wear just boxer shorts. When he was, <laughs> I think it was boxer. It might have been completely nude, but that, that was my, in my head. It was boxer shorts. Maybe I've done that <laughs> self-censored. I don't know. But, um, I feel like I've heard that I've worked with Dan, but not doing vocals, so I didn't experience that. Mm, um, fair enough. No, I don't think anyone does anything too weird I mean sometimes people like a bit of privacy so if they're recording yeah. with a whole band or there's lots of producers and label people they all get kicked out when people do vocals and yeah. that kind of thing um or some people like to sing in the evening I don't know yeah. just that kind of thing I don't think I've come across anything too kind of out there oh that's a shame I was hoping <laughs> for some some wackiness out there I mean I think yeah I suppose when I'm doing I quite like it when I can't see I don't really want to be able to see into the people see me so I quite like hiding behind the pop shield, just yeah. so I've got a little bit, and I often turn the lights down, and yeah. I quite like a low low level of light, just because you kind of want to be able to slightly get lost in it, yeah. and get, give a bit of a performance, so that, I don't know, I think whenever I record, I always imagine, I try and think, right, I've just pressed play on the track, what do I want my voice to sound like, what am I hoping to hear back to myself, and then I try and kind of perform it, Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. I've, I don't really get the chance to see many other singers do what they do. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's like a dark art. I, I've kind of only been party to a few times when someone's been recording their vo vocals and I've been there. But. And so I feel like you've almost got two strands to what you're doing because you've obviously got your sound recording, but then there's also the fact that you didn't just sort of sit back and think, oh, that doesn't seem quite right, but you've also got your sort of political thing, yeah. which is obviously something you developed more and more as you... Yeah. Um, gone further into motherhood and all of that but going sort of back to when you were younger did you grow up in a house that was quite active in those ways in a way my dad my dad's an economist he's an academic so he was always interested in current affairs um and politics I don't think we were ever like active politically as in going door knocking and stuff but it was definitely something that was talked about around the dinner table and dad's very very opinionated still on these things so it was definitely kind of part of my background and whereabouts did you grow up? So I grew up in Berlin for a bit until I was eight. Uh, so I got to witness the fall of the Berlin Wall, which is oh, pretty wow. amazing. Mum took me and my brother down to go and stand on the wall on the 10th of November, 1989. Wow, that's amazing. So that what, was, yeah, that was What a big was the moment. atmosphere like? Just, just amazing, really. So we lived in West Berlin, um, but we had friends in the East. So we knew the enormity of, of what it meant for our friends you know even at that age and I remember going into school the next day and the teachers we didn't do any work the teachers just talked to us about what it all meant it was a really special moment 
God, that's incredible. And do you have memories of the time before that then when the wall was there? And- yeah. Yeah, so we had some really close family friends that we would go and visit every Christmas time. And I remember the year before the wall came down, the dad said to my mum, oh, maybe next year we can visit you. And they were actually able to, because obviously before that, they weren't allowed to leave East Berlin to come to the West. Which is extraordinary, really. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing bit of history. Um, it must have been not long after you'd... The 10th of November, I went with my dad on a trip to Berlin. And yeah. um, I he took me because the wall had just come down. So I kind of got to go there and I got a little bit of wall that he brought back with yeah. me and... I think he just wanted, he just knew this was like a really significant time in history and when he's, he'd studied history, so he just really wanted me to have that experience. But it's nothing like living there and seeing that and having the teacher speak about it at school. And Yeah, and we're, you know, we were only like seven or something at yeah. the time, quite young, but old enough to have an idea of what it meant. Yeah, that's amazing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Presumably, your childhood is very different to the one that your little boy has experienced. Or maybe it's not, maybe they're similar themes. I think they're quite similar. I mean, like, so I was in Berlin till I was eight, so I grew up the first part of my life in a big city, which Lucas is now in London as well. Yeah, um, And true. I think I've always been a city person at heart. And then the rest of my childhood was in a small town in St Andrews up in Scotland, which is very different, I think, from what Lucas is experiencing now. So when did you move there? Oh, straight from Berlin? Straight from Berlin, so yeah. <laughs> so I moved there change, when I was eight. Yeah, quite a change. Wow. And what did you think of that? What's it like moving country like that when you're that age? 
Um, I guess it's a bit challenging, but I was lucky because my dad's Scottish, my mum's German, so I grew up okay. bilingual, so at least I didn't have to learn a new language from scratch. And I think over that no, summer that's, holiday... That's pretty huge, isn't it? Yeah, and I made sure that I could read in English because I didn't used to read in English when I was a little girl, but I made sure that before I started school, I used to read books with my dad and made sure I was kind of ready for it. So I think the transition was not as hard as it might have been if I'd not had the language. And where does it make you think of as home, or is it both places? I mean, to be honest, London's home now. I've lived ah, here for so long. That's nice. And did you have family in Scotland as well then? Yeah, so my grandparents were up in Aberdeenshire as well, so that's part of the reason for our move as well. Amazing. Do you have brothers and sisters too? Did you say you have a Yeah, I've got a younger brother, brother. but he's down here now as well. Cool. Um, well, I think that in itself is really... I'm always fascinated by people who've had experiences of different cities like that. Yeah. Even though I've been lucky enough to travel, I've only ever lived in one city and... My mum lives like 10 minutes from me now, so I nice. sort of haven't really, haven't been quite as bold as I, as I thought I might have been. But um, I think that's an amazing thing. And it probably kind of, I suppose you had to make all new friends. You've got yeah. to leave behind your whole, that whole school life as well. That's quite a big deal, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But it sounds like it's um, lots of positive association in your head when you think of it. Yeah, and, you know, I loved it. It was a real privilege growing up in St Andrews as well. Grew up by the sea. Obviously, when you're a teenager, you don't appreciate those things, but now it's like a lovely place for me and my little boy to go back to and see the grandparents. Yeah, that's really lovely. And so, so fast-forwarding again, so you're, you get through school and you're starting your sort of trajectory towards engineering. And when you're in the studio, um, how significant is it to be the female in that company? Was that people... That, did, did you ever feel like it was something that was you know, challenging or... I think it was okay. I think there's one or two comments, but really they're so few and far between. I don't think they really shaped my experience. That's good. Um, and I think the woman who's still the manager there now, she was super supportive, um, very strong woman, and I think kind of instilled a culture that all everyone should be treated the same. Yes. And definitely would encourage us not to take any crap from anyone either yes I think there's got to be just a sort of way about you saying yeah. that's actually not okay and it's, it doesn't need to be a big bold thing but it's just uh, yeah well that's good you had her there to kind of give you that support that backup um, and what's it look like now in terms of women in, in that side of the industry there's definitely much more than when I was first starting out so as I said I didn't have any women engineers that I worked with when I was an assistant then when I started engineering, there were a handful of women assistants. A lot of them are now producing and engineering themselves. And I think most studios now that you go to, the commercial studios, will have at least one woman engineer or assistant or runner. They'll have someone on the engineering staff who's female. And that's a big change. That is uh, that's good. And um, it's nice to see that it seems to be increasing. Yeah. Um, and you also ended up like winning awards for your engineering, which is absolutely fantastic. So this is the MPGs, which... Um, I haven't gone along, but Richard's been a few times. Yeah. So when, when was that? When did you win that? That was 2016. So that was really lovely, actually, because it was for work that I'd done before I'd had a baby. But it was nice to have something after I'd had a baby that I could celebrate and go, I'm, look, I'm still here. I'm still working. Oh, yes. I didn't think about the timing of that. Yeah, so Lucas would have only been one at the time. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was quite young, actually, because he was born in November and the awards were like February. So I think oh, that was wow. one, it was one of my first nights out. And, I mean, I look ridiculous in my dress because my boobs are full of milk and it's just hilarious. <laughs> but it was my first night out and I got this award and it felt really special. So what did you get that for? What have you been working on? So that was for Engineer of the Year. I'm trying to remember what 
what records it was. Um, that have been things like Coldplay, because you spent a lot of time working with Coldplay, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to remember whether it was Coldplay was the year before or whether it was that year, I honestly can't remember. But um, yeah, so I worked on Ghost Stories album for Coldplay. Um, and I also worked on the soundtrack for a TV series called Indian Summers uh, for a composer called Stephen Warbeck. And that was a really cool thing oh, yeah. to work on because we recorded loads of traditional Indian instruments. Oh, wow. I mean, a lot of them I had to kind of Google and figure out, like, what is this instrument that I've never heard of and how do you record it? I was going to say, when you've presented with something you've never sort of worked with before, yeah, you have to kind of do your... Re- but that must be yeah. nice because it's kind of like a new... Yeah, you're learning something and often the best thing is just to like ask the musician, go like, what, what do you think is the best way of recording this? And you obviously listen to it. But yeah, it's always nice to have new challenges like that. It is. And when you're a new mum like that, did you ever... I mean, sometimes winning those awards, like obviously it's, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all, but especially at that time in your life when you're a new mum... Yeah. That must have been, did that kind of help you get yourself back into the right mindset of like, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm good at what I'm doing? Yeah, definitely. And even just going to that event and seeing all the people that I'd worked with, because, you know, when you first have a baby, you're a bit of a recluse. You don't leave the house for a bit. You certainly don't see any work people mm. for a bit. So that was really nice. And also it gave me a bit of a kick up the arse to actually get back out there and just, you know, keep on working. That's true. So when you go back to work on your baby's nine months and you're kind of, it's starting a little bit of a lower rung, you said, than you were before. I mean, I don't know if it was a lower rung, but there was just less work, definitely okay. less calls coming in. And so when you're in the studio and you have got a young baby, how are you working with the hours? Because your hours are sometimes... I mean, what's a typical day for you? I mean, it can really depend, but like a 12-hour day is... 10 or 12-hour day is standard, plus then you have an hour commuting either side normally, depending on where you go into work. That is long. So it's long, yeah. I mean, when Lucas was very young, when when I was taking my first sort of tentative steps back into work, maybe a one or two day session, my husband would bring him in and I'd feed him in the lunch break. Um, And other times, I mean, this is hilarious. Again, we did this mix session, again, working with Amelia Warner. We recorded her film score. She had a really young baby. I had a really young baby. And we were both sort of going into the side room and expressing milk or breastfeeding. And the male director was just like, my God, I'm surrounded by estrogen. What's going on? (laughs) And I think on sessions like that, when you've got someone else in the same situation, that's really helpful. And you kind of give each other confidence. Yeah, that, oh God, yeah, that's immeasurable. And also there's things you don't need to talk about, don't need to say, yeah. which is really handy. But but I think sometimes as well, particularly when it's your first baby, which I think is a big, you know, what's it like when you're working on the sessions when there isn't someone working with you that has a baby? Do people kind of talk, oh, did they ask you about your, do people ask you much about your, you know, personal life? Yeah, they do. And I think it depends. I think if it's people that you know really well that have brought up their families whether they're men or women then you can have those conversations but I think when you're working with a young band especially like a young band with a bunch of guys you just don't go there yeah it's quite a foreign idea isn't it like oh I don't know what you're talking about babies stop it yeah definitely (laughs) and again you don't want to sort of feed those assumptions that you're now as a mum you're not capable you're not interested in your job so I think when I was working with younger people particularly men I wouldn't really talk about it yeah. Whereas with the ones that, you know, had seen it all, had their own families, I could be a bit more open about it. Yeah, that's true. But I suppose that sometimes that thing of not speaking about it so much, did you ever feel like you were kind of packing it away a little bit? Because I think sometimes, especially with when I had my first one, I think aspects of motherhood I found quite isolating in that way. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think having had 
conversations with clients or conversations that my management fed back to me where clients would make assumptions about my commitment to my work and my ability to do long sessions. I sort of made the choice to not really talk about motherhood or having a kid in front of certain clients. Mm. And how did, how did you find that? Did you ever feel like you'd put yourself under some pressure there? I mean, I felt a bit sad that I, fe- that I had to do it, but I felt it was necessary for that point in my career where mm. I really wanted to get back to where I was and where I knew I had to just work really hard and try and counter those assumptions. Yeah, and did you ever think of maybe not, not going back to it? Was that never a question for you? Wasn't really a question, no, because I, I I've worked so hard for it and I love the job so much. I, yeah. It didn't seem like I would be being myself if I quit. And are you able to kind of shape your weeks a little bit? So can you say, oh, I'm going to, I work five days and I have my weekends free and that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. I mean, generally I try and avoid working weekends. Obviously, sometimes if it's a particular project that's got a certain schedule, I'll be flexible. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, I try not to these days. You know, I'm really fortunate um, that I don't have to kill myself by doing every single thing that comes in. and I can pick and choose a little bit and try and keep some sort of a balance. So talking a bit more about the political side of things, so if we, you know, you'd written the email to the um, MP and she said, yeah, we should, you should yeah. get behind this. So what happened after that? So then I took my sort of idea for a campaign to the Music Producers Guild. I wasn't really involved with them before, but I just emailed one of the directors and said, look, this is happening. It, it must affect a b- bunch of your members. And he then took it to a meeting with... I think some people in the Labour Party and they were really, really interested. And I ended up getting some meetings with Tom Watson's office, who was the deputy leader of the party at the time. And um, and then they had an election and we managed to get our idea for shared parental leave for self-employed people into the Labour manifesto at the last election. Amazing. Or at the 2017 election, not the last election. Uh, There's been so many of them, haven't there? I know, there? yeah, that's actually, that's, I forgot about the one that happened during lockdown. I yeah. But um, so we did that. And then after that election, I ended up working with an MP called Tracy Braben, who used to be an actress. Um, And I told her kind of what had led to me doing this campaign. And she completely got it because she brought up her daughters whilst being a self-employed actress. So completely got where I was coming from. And she did a thing, it's called a 10 minute rule bill, where like any backbench MP can bring in their own law. I mean, it won't always pass, but it's an opportunity to present something that they think should become law. So she did this bill, we called it the selfie leave bill, which was to give shared parental leave to self-employed people. And she read out a speech, (coughs) read out a speech in Parliament and we had a big demo outside Parliament, got loads of MPs from all parties to support it. And that was kind of like the pinnacle of our campaign, got loads of attention. Um, And we got the government to actually consult on parental leave. They haven't changed the law because obviously quite a lot of stuff has happened since then. (laughs) But they did do a consultation, which we're still waiting on them to publish. Yeah, I mean, if you have, if they haven't changed the law yet, so presumably, as you said, you mentioned sort of theatre. But what what kind of industries are affected by what you're talking so about? So, in music, it's about seventy percent people are self-employed. Um, I'm not sure the numbers for um, acting, but Equity, the Actors Union, were really behind it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a lot of contractors in kind of IT and lots of industries like that that you might not necessarily associate with self-employment, but they're all really affected by it as well. Yeah, and do, do you work alongside Pregnant and Screwed? Yeah, so I, I met them actually through this campaign and I've been working with them and I, I sit on their kind of policy board where we kind of discuss ideas for campaigns. And um, and during the um, the pandemic, obviously, again, self-employed women 
were shortchanged a bit by the support that was available. So when the SICE grant came out for self-employed people, it was based on three years' earnings, which kind yes. of seems fair enough. But if you've been on mat leave in one of those three years, then you get less. So I got um, a third less than my male colleagues um, that were earning the same amount just because I'd had mat leave in one of those years. Oh, blimey. And, you know, for, for us, luckily, we're a fortunate position that it wasn't the en- end of the world for us. But there's a lot of people where it made a huge difference. Yeah. And I think also it's just about fairness, really. Exactly. And the fact that someone's taken time off on much lower pay to look after a baby doesn't mean that they should then be penalised three years down the line. I was going to say, you're sort of penalised sort of twice the bit where you didn't earn then and again. Yeah, exactly. So we actually managed to get... um, legal support and some funding from some trade unions to take the government to court about this. Okay, amazing. So we had a judicial review and we also had a claimant, a woman who'd been really affected by this, very brave woman who came forward, who stood alongside the charity that were kind of co-claimants in this court case. And they actually ruled that the government had discriminated, but because it was a pandemic, it was kind of justified, was basically the ruling. Oh, which is really annoying, but it sets an important precedent. It means that when there's not a pandemic, the government can't get away with making decisions like this. Yeah. So I think it was really important to do that court case, even though we didn't get quite the outcome we wanted. We didn't get any money for the women that were affected, but we did get a really yeah. important ruling about discrimination. And I suppose, as you say, the pandemic has kind of taken quite a chunk of time, out of, but, but there's any, any momentum is good momentum and keep moving things forward. And I think, so am I right in thinking that you actually ended up getting more and more into politics. Yeah. Yeah, and party politics. This is Labour Party, right? That's right, yeah. So what happened with that? So um, so I applied for this programme called the Joe Cox Women in Leadership Programme, which is their kind of feminist um, leadership training programme in the Labour Party. I applied for that, managed to get into it somehow, and that was really interesting. I met lots of very inspiring women. And then, obviously, in 2019, there was a snap election, so I applied to be the candidate for Croydon South, which is constituency really near where I live. And, yeah, I, I stood for Parliament in 2019. That's amazing. And what, what, what was that experience? Like, were there things about that process that surprised you? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd never done it before, so it was all a big learning curve. Um, I was... It was interesting because I got to work on two campaigns. I worked on the neighbouring one, which is uh, a marginal Labour seat, so I supported the MP there, and I worked in my own seat. And it's just the mechanics of campaigning, I guess, how it all works, getting activists to go out, you know, even designing leaflets and things like yeah. that. Just the basics, well, the yeah, you know, I so about. much, yeah. yeah. And how, what, when I, when now we find ourselves in 2022, what, what role is it in your life now? So I'm still really active in politics and I'm standing to be a councillor this May in Lambeth. Ah, amazing. So how are you tallying that with your day job? That's a lot of spinning plates, if you're not quoting the title Absolutely. of the podcast. Yeah, it's a bit of juggling and I think sort of if I get elected in May, then I'll probably need to sort of reassess, see what things I can maybe cut back on. Um, yeah, it's just juggling, I think. I'm, I'm really lucky that my husband's really supportive and he generally works set hours, so at least mm. we can kind of plan around that. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, you need that support, don't you? Yeah. Um, and I suppose, I don't know, I'm just trying to picture how you make it work, though, if you're doing sort of like 14-hour days. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, being a counsellor isn't a full-time job. They generally say it's about one day a week. Okay. Um, 
And in terms of my work work, some weeks I might be working five days, some weeks I might be working three days. So it kind okay. of depends. I think I feel like it's doable, but um, ask me again in a year's time. I know. But what's, I mean, do you have a sort of goal of what you'd love to achieve if you could, if, you know, sort of magic situation of... Um, I'd love women to be paid the same as men and have the same opportunities and for men and women to have the same involvement in family life and parenting. Yeah, I mean, it's quite astonishing in a way that, you know, I'd say 2022 and that's still a conversation because when I started doing this podcast and I thought I'm speaking to working mothers and then I thought, well, is that still a thing? Is that still a thing? Maybe that's just what I think it's a thing. And then actually I'm like, no, it's definitely... It's a thing. A thing, yeah. <laughs> I mean, do you have sort of statistics for where things are at at the moment? Yeah, so for example, 54,000 women a year get fired from their job for getting pregnant. Wow, that's astonishing. Yeah, and that's, I think, that's a 2015 stat, but they haven't done a study since then. Um, the gender pay think, I gap... That was a, I thought it was illegal. It is, yeah. But access to justice is really difficult. I was going to say, that's the next step, isn't it? Yeah, it's like taking something to a tri tribunal can be very traumatic. Yeah. It can be hard to have the evidence. Often it's he said, she said. Yeah, um, and you can hide those decisions behind other things, can't you? Exactly. Just not renewing a contract, for example, rather than sort of dealing head-on with the reasons why. Exactly, and you currently have a three-month time limit to bring a tribunal, so if you're pregnant... Wow. And Three you, months. And you get discriminated against. You might actually be in labour the, at the point at which you need to bring a tribunal. It's insane. Wow. That doesn't seem like it's weighted in the right way. Okay, so that's, that's yeah, 54,000 women. Yeah. And what about the gender pay gap? Where are we up to with that? Um, well, I went to the Women in Music Awards um, a couple of months ago, and I was really horrified because actually the gender pay gaps with the big record labels had got worse. Oh, wow. And... Um, I still don't understand why this happened, but Warner Music got awarded um, a diversity award, yet their gender pay gap has gone up to being over 30%. 30%? So they're not, and they're the worst out of the three majors, so they're not even the best of a bad bunch, and, and they haven't shown the greatest improvement. They've just got a terrible gender pay gap, but for some reason they got a diversity prize. Wow. Okay, and I presume as well we're looking at the fact that women would have been on the whole, more affected by lockdown in terms of exactly. their earning potential and their work. Exactly, because they generally took up most of the homeschooling exactly. um, and all of that stuff, so that would have affected their performance at work, their opportunities. Some of them might have chosen to go on furlough, which again affected what they were being paid, affected promotion opportunities, all of that stuff. You see, the thing is, if you've got a situation where in the household the father is not got as much paternity leave and is earning more, Yeah. then the woman's already got, like, the hand on her forehead when she's trying to run fast kind of thing. Exactly. So you'll think, well, okay, my work will take a back seat. And it kind of becomes a sort of, it feeds itself, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. It's such a vicious cycle. And I think it's the same with the self-employed thing as well, because by the time the mum has then taken a year out of her career, it's that much harder to get back in. Mm. And then if you're having to pay for childcare and stuff... For a lot of families, just the numbers just don't add up. Yeah. And I mean, is this something you had already experienced firsthand in your line of work or is this stuff you started to learn about when you were... So the thing about um, needing to sort of take longer to, after you've taken that career break, that's definitely firsthand experience mm. and I think it's something that 
any self-employed people would tell you because you know what it's like you have those relationships those personal relationships with clients and if you're off the scene for a year your clients can need to keep on working and yeah. they might end up working with other people um so some of that is firsthand and you know the stats on gender pay gap on maternity discrimination a lot of that like the maternity discrimination one of 54,000, that was from an EHRC report. So there's a lot of work that's been done in this area that's out there. But in terms of where your your line of work with the, your engineering, yeah, um, does it feel like you've been a victim of the gender pay gap with that? Or is that kind of hard um, to assess, I suppose, because you kind of... It's hard to on assess. On your own experiences. Yeah, I think I... I don't believe that I have. Apart from that, obviously, you know, taking a bit longer to come yeah, back maternity. after mat leave. yeah. I don't know exactly what my peers are getting paid, but I don't feel that I'm being paid less than them for the same types of jobs. I mean, yeah. as a freelancer, you're, I tend to have my day rate negotiated by my management and it's slightly various from job to job. So there isn't just like one rate. Mm. But I would say it is similar between the men and women that are on the same management agency. I don't feel that for the similar type of project that there's a pay differential. Yeah, and did you, are you raised by a working mum? Did your mum work when you were a kid? She did, but she only went back to work when we were kind of at school. So she didn't work when we were really young. So is this something you've spoken about with her too? Yeah, well, it's interesting actually because she, she's a teacher by profession, but she actually always wanted to be a translator and interpreter. And I think she didn't really love teaching. So I think that's part of the reason she stayed at home. And then she retrained when we were a little bit older. And that's why I think my mum and dad were always super supportive of my career choices. They didn't go, oh, well, that's not a proper job and that's not suitable because I think mum had that experience of sort of being steered a little bit in what she should do and she never wanted her kids to do that. She just wanted us to follow our passions. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that's brilliant and you really need that. And I think there's a big difference as well between someone doing a job where they're not engaged and hopping out of bed in the morning. And then if you have a kid that's self-motivated, working hard, you know, keeping that momentum going, like, that's, like, you can know yourself now as a mum. Like, that's that's amazing. Yeah, as long as they're happy and excited by what they're doing. You're not thinking, oh, but I don't want it to be that job. You're just thinking, wow, great, they're they're engaged and passionate. Exactly. Finding that passion is such a big deal, actually. And has it sort of surprised you, this whole new leg of your life with the politics? Yeah. Or does it feel like, oh yeah, I kind of was always headed towards that? Um, it's a bit of a surprise, <clears> I <throat> guess, how, um, how involved I've got. I mean, I was always, you know, a little bit interested in current affairs and politics and stuff. But sort of going full on into it, I mean, maybe it's a bit of a midlife crisis, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. I think it's cool and I think you get to a point in your life where you've got the experiences and you're having, you've had lots of conversations and you're getting the information, and and the, the, the politicians around you are not those, like, grown-ups when you feel like the kid. They're, yeah. they're peers. Yeah. You feel like you can come to them and have proper conversations with backed up by knowledge and experience. It's like, I think it's probably quite normal at time in your life to kind of, think okay now now a bit of that as well please yeah I think so and I also think I love my job but ultimately I'm doing the same thing all the time I'm not you know I might be learning how to record a new instrument or a new technique but ultimately for the next however many years I'm going to basically be making music sound a bit nicer and you know working with some interesting people and in the politics side of things I feel I can just do something extra make some changes well making changes when you see things that aren't right is really exciting and Every once in a while, people talk, um, you know, I've had the odd comment from uh, from blokes saying, what about working dads? And they're saying, and of course, 
I appreciate <clears throat> there are um, single fathers out there. There are fathers that have taken time out. Some of the women I've spoken to have had their their partners have done the yeah. the, the leave, and um, you know I, I I see all that scope. But until we give women what they need to do their work in the way they want to do it, and it's remunerated appropriately. It's that that's benefiting the guys too. It's all hand yeah. in hand. Because if for as long as women are not earning as much, the guys are going to be the ones that need to keep doing that thing. Exactly. So it's it's actually beneficial to everybody to lift up women and support them, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's exciting. I think it's wonderful. I really, I'm, I mean, I'm so impressed with you for not just seeing those things, but actually sort of putting your you know money where your mouth is, so to speak, yeah. and actually going for it. Because I think. There's a lot of things I get very excited about and passionate about, but they generally don't go beyond a, you know, a rant that I'm sort of, you know, honing, <laughs> honing day by day. Um, but I think actually actively going, right, now's the time I want to get engaged. Yeah. And what to what extent is your little boy aware of all this? Have you spoken? I suppose he's very little. I don't know. I haven't had many political discussions with my six-year-old. Yeah, we're, we're quite... He's kind of, he gets it at a certain level. He understands that Boris has made some bad choices. <laughs> <laughs> Even a child can yeah. see. Um, and he, he, he was, I got him to do some leaflets for Sadiq in the mayoral elections. And he ah. understands about mayors because they have mayors in Paw Patrol. Oh, yes, of course they do. <laughs> That's brilliant. Politics in Paw I never thought you could learn yeah. something from Paw Patrol. <laughs> Introduction to local government from Paw Patrol. <laughs> <laughs> that is unexpected. And I suppose also what you're really doing is just keeping a conversation. And I think for kids to get... I remember years ago when my eldest was just turning a teenager and we were coming home from a doctor's appointment or something and there was on the front cover of the the paper was a thing about Greta Thunberg. Actually, no, it wasn't the front cover. It was sort of buried, actually. So this was going back quite a while now. And I said to Sunny, oh, look at this. There's this girl and um, she's been really active about... um, climate um, issues and to the extent where she was mute you know elective mute for a long time and then her parents her mum was an opera singer and she stopped traveling and they really focused on her and and you know she's now trying to campaign and Sunny said something like well that won't make any difference and now I'm like really satisfied to see that no she's she's made a lot of noise for for someone of her age and I just I don't want my kids to be cynical like that I want them to realize that there's always scope for getting involved and being part of yeah. the conversation, pushing things forward and raising awareness. And um, I just, I, I suppose I'm a bit frustrated, really. Actually, you know, I learned another fact to add to your armory that in in uh, Britain we have the worst pay gap between uh, medical investment, uh, male-orientated illnesses and female orientated it's just a huge divide in terms of that as well yeah oh no it's the worst in europe that's wow. right worst in europe in it doesn't the UK. surprise me but still oh my gosh. yeah but it's a bit we think we're so kind of hip sometimes in the uk but then you go to other places and you just think ah do you think it's helped that you've got the perspective of you know life in scotland and life in germany yeah i think so i think there's definitely think things that the two countries do differently. Yeah. But, I mean, Germany aren't brilliant, you know. I think they're not where the Nordic countries are. Their childcare is a bit better. It's a bit better supported by the government. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think they've also still got quite a long way to go. I wonder what the... Do you know offhand this sort of divide with women in politics? I don't know how that works out. Um, I think... 
I don't know the exact numbers. I know the Labour Party for the first time ever has got over 50% women MPs. Oh, really? Um, but we obviously For the first lost, time ever? Well, yeah, but we also lost quite a lot in 2019. Ah. Um, so it's probably easier to get to 50% if you've got a smaller number, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, it still counts for something. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, the Parliamentary Labour Party is 50-50 or thereabouts. Um, I think in Parliament it's about a third women, something like that, roughly. Oh. So there's still a bit of work to be done. And if anyone that's been listening to us, our chat is interested in getting involved with these issues, what can they do? Um, so my own website for the Shared Parental Leave for Self-Employed People is uh, www.parentalpayequality.org.uk and you can find out about our campaigns. It's not just Shared Parental Leave, it's also Paternity Leave and Adoption Leave and Neonatal Leave for Self-Employed People. Oh, amazing. I didn't even think about things like Adoption Leave. There's so many different ways to be doing this, isn't there? And you just don't want to fall in the gaps. Exactly. And it just feels like the self-employed families have been forgotten and they're never high enough up the priority list for the government. And politics has been crazy for the past five years as well. It has. Yeah, it has. I think there must be so many things that have just been sort of slightly, just slightly, you know, outside of the main focus of what's been going on. Yeah, massively. Tons of things. But now's the time to get back on it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's really exciting. I wish you all the best for May. Thank you. Exciting times. And poor Patrol has got some <laughs> unexpected benefits. Who knew? Is Lucas interested in sound? Is it something he can, I suppose he's little about, you know. Oh, yeah, he, he loves music. So the other day he, he made me open up Logic because he wanted to write a song. Oh, cool. Um, but it was like being in the most stressful writing session with the most demanding <laughs> artist with the least <laughs> amount of patience I've ever been in. <laughs> That's really funny. He's like, why aren't you not doing it already? Yeah. Can't you hear what's in my head? Yeah. Get, it, get it down there. Yeah, that's exactly how it went. <laughs> to be honest, I get a bit like that when I'm working with Richard. I just get like, I, get, I behave much worse than I do with other people. Yeah. It's really bad. Sometimes there's people you're just too close to. We should put them in with someone else. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Did you get it done, the track? We've got, we've got a basic demo down, yeah. Oh, well done. It's very impressive. <laughs> Needs a bit of work. <laughs> Don't they all? <laughs> isn't Olga great and like I said maybe we can all take note from someone who decides to do something about their instincts it's easier said than done isn't it and I'm still walking around St Margaret's I'm now I'm now on the road where I went to school my primary school and it's also the road where my mum first rented a flat when uh, she and my dad broke up so it's the flat where my dad sorry my mum and I lived on our own for well a couple of years actually so it's the place where I had a little bunk bed and such amazing incidents happened as at the time that I bit down on... Do you know those glow sticks where you crack them and then they light up? My mum used to use them when she was doing her parachute jump training that she did for Blue Peter. And one night I bit one of them. My mum had to phone the poisons unit at the local hospital to check I wasn't going to die. It's also the place where a few of my hamsters died. Sorry, Wilfred. Sorry, Gloria. And what else happened there? Oh, we had a dog for a short while. We had some cats. One of my cats got run over on this road. Uh, from that litter, I remember there was Cross Patch because he had a little funny cross on his forehead. Cat, that is, not friend. So, yes, he was part of our lives. So many memories along this road. 
I think I'm going to walk and have a little look at school and I'm going to get out of your ears now because there's another plane and probably in a minute someone will start playing bagpipes or there'll be a foghorn or something like that. Anyway, thank you to Olga for her amazing time and her wise words. Thank you to Claire, my producer, who does such a good job with podcast of actually making her bit sound professional as you can probably tell she's not involved with the intro and outro thank you to richard for piecing it all together thank you to you for your ears your time and your influence there's been some amazing suggestions coming my way of people to talk to i've been following them up so thanks so much for that and in the meantime have a lovely lovely day and i will see you soon and take care and there's another car and another plane and blimey this place is noisy I don't live anymore, it'll be a nightmare for where I found myself in life. <laughs> I mean, this <laughs> silly St. Margaret. All right, let's have a season break. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.